Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James, this is Pete. G'day everyone. And we are not dead. So if you were listening to last week's show, you heard our experiment at the end of the show. Mm. Pete and I confirmed not dead. Don't know what that means in the grand scheme of things about uh, people's involvements Mm. with uh, Epstein, but... Uh, we're not dead. Well, I reckon give it another week because we could be, you know, a long way down the list. <laughs> yeah, Maybe so a lot of people, a few more important people before us. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my yeah. head that would be. Uh, have you been followed at all? Do you reckon? No more than usual. No There's more always than a few usual. people tailing me. <laughs> Watching what I'm doing. So, yes, yeah. uh, and uh, I do talk to them daily. Anyway, uh, we've got a big show for you guys coming up. We are going to be talking to Bridget Fetacy. Mm. Uh, if you are on Twitter, you've definitely come across her tweets before. She's got a whole bunch of followers. Her Twitter feed is awesome. Going to be talking a lot about Culture Wars and her story and stuff like that. Uh, yep. It's a really fun interview. They're then going to be talking to Dave Sharma, the member uh, for Wentworth. He came on the show to talk a bit of foreign policy. He was down here for a foreign policy event last week. He and I got into it on Brexit. Mm. So stick around for that. Come and, come and listen to the sheriff yeah. at work. <laughs> <laughs> did call myself the sheriff of Podcast Village for the rest of the week based on that interview. Yeah. But you, uh, it's up to you whether or not I'm a sheriff or just some other... Uh, Form of law enforcement. I don't know. Not sure. Uh, but I'm definitely the sheriff. Anyway, uh, then we've got another round of the quiz. So mm. that's also look forward to. Anything you're looking forward to on the show, Pete? Well, it's great to have Saul back from the Gold Coast. He was basically on the tear on the Gold Coast all week. So he's come yep. back in one piece, which is good. Bridget Fettis is world famous. So yes. that makes us world famous by extension. Yep. And of course, a new segment that I'm, well, that we are, mod, uh, what are we going to do? Give it a spin. Give it a spin. Straight after the interviews. So yes. stick around for that. So stick around for that. Uh, just on Saul returning after a week mm. off, I'll describe him as rusty. I don't know if that's uh, if that's unfair, but very uh, tanned, very tanned, but also uh, you know, a few cameras weren't set up quite correctly, <laughs> as I can say, because he doesn't have a microphone to defend himself. But let's get into the show, babe, okay? Because there's one story that's been dominating headlines in Australia for the last week, yep. and that is the bushfires that are happening in New South Wales, and uh, we should talk about them. That's all anyone's talking about. Um, so. I think the angle we want to take is the fact that like the Greens MPs are now coming out and saying, well, this has clearly resulted in climate change and we need to address that. There's been some pushback from the Coalition Labor, like, oh, we, this isn't the time to uh, talk about climate change uh, while the fires are still going. I mm. don't buy into that. Like, I just think, you know, let's let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the idea that it's, like, distracting from efforts to stop fires, which I don't see. Like, it's not like anyone's grabbing firefighters themselves and just saying, do you mind appearing on television for 10 minutes to talk about climate change? Mm-hmm. And I don't think, like, Adam Bant or Scott Morrison are personally putting out fires. So we could talk about it. So where, where, what do you reckon about it? Well, I agree 100%. I don't think there's any right or wrong time to start talking about it. And the Greens are within their rights to raise these issues if that's what they believe. Yeah. Uh, I don't begrudge them that. I begrudge them for being wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> which I'll get to in a sec. But as, as James has alluded to, uh, we have had the blame game beginning. I just want to show you a quick f- bit of footage of Senator Jordan Steele, John, in the Senate yesterday. Saul, if you could roll the tapes. Thanks, mate. You are no better than a bunch of arsonists. Borderline arsonists. So, James, do you ever find yourself saying something and then thinking, wow, am I really saying this? And yeah. then sort of walking it back a little yeah. bit? You're Mid-sentence. Semi-arsonist. Yeah. Borderline arsonist. <laughs> yeah. Eventually it's like, okay, you might have met an arsonist once in your life. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, you know the definition of the word arson. You just keep winding it back until you stop. So hear that to say, and, that, and basically that's been the thrust of the Greens' argument all week. The Nats uh, have been blaming the Greens for opposing burn-offs in bushfire-affected areas. So that's the other aspect of this. ScoMo's got dragged into it for saying the famous thoughts and prayers thing, which is, uh, which is a bit of a no-no these days, uh, and has called for everyone to take it down a notch politically. But as we said... We don't begrudge the Greens for raising their point. We just begrudge them for being wrong. These bushfires, James, do not have anything to do with climate change. 
it, or sorry, do not have anything to do with the Australian. <laughs> been in a sentence <laughs> where halfway through you decided to wind so back. It can happen to anyone, mate. It can happen to anyone. These to Australia's policies on climate change. So the Greens are blaming, you know, ScoMo and the Labor Party for their policies. But Australia commits only one point three percent of emissions, right? So even if we packed up the whole show and went back from where we've all come from, yeah, would make no difference. There'd still be bushfires. Uh, in twenty eighteen, the IPCC has only a medium level confidence of the link between climate change and drought. But this is confined to certain parts of the world, of which Australia is not one. So even the IPCC says. There's no link between climate change and drought in Australia. Isn't it amazing how quickly things have changed in the climate change thing yeah, yeah. where the side saying, okay, everyone needs to turn down the alarmism is now quoting IPCC yeah. reports. Like yeah. that's how far things have got. Two years ago, I was like, oh, the UN, I don't know what they're talking about. But now and it's now like, it's like, listen to the UN. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So uh, there's that. Andy Pittman from the ARC Centre of Excellence said there is no drying trend, no drying trend in the last 100 years. We don't understand what causes drought. And the one that I want to talk about most, and I'm yep. going to show the graph on YouTube when Saul chucks it up, Bjorn Lomborg, Right, so he says, you know, climate change is making bushfires worse, but deaths from climate-related incidents are down 99 percent since 1920. And then, and he's got other stuff which I won't go through here, but he's got other stuff where he talks about that specifically in relation to bushfires. And the point is that look, climate change might be making natural disasters worse. We don't know. I'm walking back again, but um, we've got technology and human ingenuity to fight fire this stuff better and deal with it better and survive more yeah so that is the key point so even if climate change is making all this stuff worse we can adapt yeah and it's also like uh the thing that has helped people fight bushfires for thousands of years in australia mm. is burn-offs mm. and when you stop doing them apparently things get a bit worse like i don't know how people didn't see that particular thing coming as yeah, well yeah that's right and also f- and farmers being able to manage their own land and burn off yeah they, exactly they're sort of con- constrained a bit with that all right cool uh so that's uh all we're going to talk about for the bushfires so and of course our you know thinking about the people that are affected oh yes uh good point and uh all right so we'll now go over to heroes and villains segment uh so Saul, just going to wait for the moment to no he's not going to do it yet all right it's, it's an gonna, early it's heroes. Wait. i told you, you said he was rusty <laughs> <laughs> You said he was Rusty Jones. The king of rustiness, uh, Peter. The king of rustiness doesn't have uh, the grunt freedom of grunt snort. Oh, whatever. I'm giving up. It'll be added added in post. This this podcast is drunk already. Anyway, uh, uh, this is the Heroes and Millers segment where we award the snort of freedom from Grunt the Pig, Grunt the Freedom Pig, I think as we called him, uh, for people that have stood up for uh, heroism, for liberty, and against tyranny around the world. Uh, Pete, who have you got this week for us? Saul's still in bedroom on the Gold Coast. Uh, All right, so... No, my hero this week, Geelong councillors. The Geelong councillors. Now, we've always bagged these councils that have these climate emergencies, like what is a climate emergency and yep. what is like... And what will council, my council do with it? You know, Murrubark council yeah. do about it. Anyway, we've had an incident in Geelong where they've put up... Councils have put up this motion to have a climate emergency in Geelong, but the councils have voted it down on the back of uh, Geelong Mayor Stephanie Asher and Councillor Eddie Contelge. Eddie, I've butchered your surname there and I apologise. They kiboshed the Geelong climate emergency a few weeks ago. Underrated word. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly right. Every time you hear the word kiboshed, it's a good day. Yeah, well, that's what they did. and uh, So that's great. Now, they've also found themselves on a three-person environmental committee, Stephanie Asher, Eddie Contelge, and Sarah Mansfield, who is the Greens Council, who put forward the climate emergency declaration. So she's deputy chair. It's a three-person committee. Uh, they're going to have a few headed discussions. And this is an example to all those councillors out there who think that they have to go along with a climate emergency, whatever that may mean. Uh, you don't. Follow the uh, the example of these two. 
I feel really bad for the climate campaigners in there because if your local government won't sign off on there being a climate emergency, mm. where do you go from there? Oh, like, I don't know. In the legal the system, in the yeah, land. like no, I think it's a reverse because in the legal system, you've always got like one court higher that you can appeal to, and eventually mm. you run out. In the climate emergency game, you only you've got to start at federal, and then you work down a state, and then you work down. But once the local council says, "Look, there's no climate emergency," yeah, I don't know who you can appeal to. Well, it's a lower form of authority. <laughs> it's only about a time before you know cafes and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Does, yeah, does this particular barista support the climate emergency? Yeah. If uh, you know of a cafe, write in. Uh, um, very good. All right, my hero of the week uh, is uh, – what are we going? Tactical Ops Brewery. So uh, they have released the best marketing campaign I've ever seen. It's on the screen right now. On the bottom of their beer cans, they have uh, the date of expiration and then just written underneath, Epstein didn't kill himself. Is that uh, the date of expiration? Um, well, it's a date. Is that the date that he died? I know because that date is today and oh, well... Very, uh, oh, they did the date papers in America. Uh, Pete's apparently the old switcheroo. <laughs> That's Pete's theory. I love this idea. Mm. Uh, who wants nutritional information anyway when they're drinking a beer? Just yeah. have real information. Yeah. All right. No one cares about calorie intake. They do care. Did Epstein kill himself or not? Yeah. Well, and then, no. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, the CEO of the brewing company has said, "Hey, what if we do this?" Uh, and then they made a limited supply of this. They're hoping the controversy is going to help sell the product on the limited supply. Fix that. Yeah, <laughs> that should not be limited. These cans are going to sell out immediately. People have get to the know. word out. People have to know. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go over to the villain segment. So this is the Walter Peck uh, Villainy Award uh, for people that have stood up for tyranny and against uh, freedom and justice. Yeah. And Pete, who have you got this week? Well, I know Saul hasn't got this run ready either. But that's all right. So last week on Q and A was a specialist feminist edition because feminists never get a platform on the ABC. So I'm glad they're finally being given a platform on Q and A last week. So not the week we just had, but the week before. Now. Uh, a bloke from the audience asked, and I'm sure you, a lot of you have already seen this, whether it was okay to use violence if you're not a- achieving your aims through the normal political process. Egyptian feminist Mona Al-Tahawi said this. When I'm asking, how many rapists must we kill until men stop raping us? Now, there was a five-minute segment where there was heaps of stuff like that, but I don't, don't want to include it all because it does go for five minutes. Other panellists more or less agreed with that. Or No, just, just agreed. Yeah, like, yeah. There was one that remained silent and then afterwards said, ah, oh, that got a little out of hand, but everyone was like, how can I support violence even more loudly than the person that just spoke? That's right, that's right. And uh, Yuka Gori said, let's burn stuff repeatedly, which I, which I thought was amusing. Now, in response, the ABC apologised and pulled the episode from all platforms. So my villain, James... He's not the people on the panel. They were, that's just their opinion. There's lots of people that think stuff like that. Yeah. That's okay with me. My villain is Q&A because this is exactly the same cancel culture that we are always talking about on this show. Yes. You know, the fact is a lot of people that are very privileged like those people that work in universities, work in corporations, work in government, think this stuff. Mm. And it doesn't do anyone any favours by sweeping under the carpet. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect... Like, and I know ABC is not the government, but it's like the perfect <laughs> yes, argument it is. for free... <laughs> well, it's sponsored by the government. But like when yeah. people say, like, oh, freedom of speech is really good because, you know, stupid people get to broadcast how stupid they are yeah. and you can defeat them... Uh, this is it in action. Exactly like, right. We've got four people going like, how good's violence? Yeah. And you just go, you know what? Maybe there's some other things I need to interrogate about what they say. Like if you're agreeing with things up to that point and then you hear that and you just go, ooh, yeah. don't know about that part. Anyway. And, and people had a crack at Frank Kelly, who's the host. Yeah, I was and I, say. Oh, sorry. And I just thought she didn't do anything wrong. So that's what they thought. And she yeah. went with it. Sorry, Frank, the reason people are having a crack at Frank Kelly is because that uh, she didn't challenge anyone. Mm. And she subsequently spoke to The Australian and she said uh, that, yeah, she should have asserted uh, – she should have uh, – 
uh, asked him to clarify and probably pushed back a little against it. Mm. And she said, I was waiting for another panelist to do it. She figured <laughs> that one, at least one person was going to be like, hang on, ladies, do we need to do, yeah. actually uh, be violent? Uh, her direct quote, I thought there would be a range of views on this panel. As it turned out, there was not a lot of disagreement on the panel and it was up to me to challenge Mona's assertion. Has she ever watched the show? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if you're trying to be, and she is, like one of the finalists to take over from Tony Jones and you're yeah. shocked that there wasn't disagreement. Well, was I it? don't know if you're up to it. Well, wasn't that uh, an interesting turnout during the week? Yes. Hamish McDonald. I uh, didn't see Got that. Got the nod. Got the nod. All right. Well, <laughs> I suppose I was just like, well, Fran, uh, if you are not able to uh, realize that people are going to agree on Q&A panel because we book people very, very selectively just for that, mm. uh, maybe it's not for you. There you go. Yeah. So unlucky there. All right. Cool. Uh, my villain this week. Sorry. Hillary Clinton uh, was a hero and how things have changed. She uh, was a She hero. was one of my heroes like three weeks ago. Yeah. She's now on a villain. Uh, she is currently on a book tour for her new book, The Book of Gutsy Women, which she's co-written with her daughter. Uh, she was on a British radio show. Uh, I think it was called, I can't remember who the name was. Barnett. It'll be on this clip. Uh, Emma Barnett yeah. Gets Answers. Yeah. What a name for a show. Good name. Can, I, can we rename our podcast that? <laughs> Do we get answers? James and Pete get answers. I think, I, I think we ask questions All right, you listen to that Dave Sharma interview and you figure out if I get <laughs> answers or not anyway uh, so Hillary Clinton's on the uh, show and yeah. Emma Barnett asks uh, why didn't you include Margaret Thatcher in your book yeah. uh, you'd think that's a gutsy woman cool. uh, even if you don't agree with her gutsy here's Hillary Clinton's response well she does but she doesn't fit the other part of the definition in our opinion which um, really is knocking down barriers for others uh, and trying to make a positive difference I think the record is mixed alright so just for the people mixed. playing at home if you are uh, the first female prime minister in 258 years of British politics then you have not knocked down enough barriers for others that is unbelievable Margaret Thatcher the saved Great Britain in 258 years <laughs> yeah yeah and she not saved enough the barriers. like she saved Great Britain and like you know they talk about gutsy yeah we're gonna invade the Falklands <laughs> I don't care because. if I was they're ours they're ours <laughs> Love it. Oh, God, I love Margaret Thatcher. Okay, but I'm like, okay, I'm with you on that. But yeah. even if you don't like Margaret Thatcher, yeah. 200, I'm going to say it again, yeah. 258 years. Yeah, no, look, you're, I agree. All right. Uh, I was very jealous because you found this and yeah. I'd already organised my villain. I really wanted to do this. Yeah, I, I knew you would, but <laughs> I sent it to you. I'm just like, Pete, this should yeah. be yours. She told, uh, told George W. Bush not to be wobbly. Don't get wobbly now, George. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's not gutsy enough. Sorry. Uh, the other part of it is the people that are in the book of gutsy women, the Clinton books. Okay. Uh, according to the Associated Press, include members of Clinton's family and friends. <laughs> That's less of a barrier, apparently. I yeah. I mean, I don't want to be cynical. Yeah. But is it like one was the first woman leader of a country? I almost was by seventy thousand votes, whatever it was. Uh, maybe a bit of jealousy at play. Mm. Uh. Good point. Or maybe it's just political. I think it's just political. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, it could be jealousy. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Bit of both. We, are, we are not in Clinton's circle of uh, family and friends, which not is yet. why oh. neither of us made the book. Uh, all right. Uh, that is it for the start of the show. Yep. And we are now going to go to Bridge of Fetacy, then Dave Sharma, and then the quiz. Cool. Okay, someone I'm very excited to speak to. It is Bridget Fantasy, uh, absolute Twitter star, host of also the podcasts, uh, podcast Walks In, Walk Walk-ins welcome, sorry, and uh, the YouTube uh, show dump, Weekly Dumpster Fire. Bridget, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, so uh, Bridget, I, uh, Barack Obama this week called out wokeness and cancel culture, which is a classic boomer move in my books. Is it time to cancel Obama? <laughs> no, but I figured they were going to come for him eventually. 
I'm actually surprised he wasn't already cancelled. So what's the latest with that, Bridget? Is he? Uh, is are there any moves to cancel him? We 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 tend to get news a little bit slower out here in Australia. What's his? What's the latest? They did. Uh, there was an opinion piece that basically uh, compared him to a white conservative man. So I think he has been cancelled. But it, it seems more like a class war. You know, I, I think a lot of this that that uh, appears to be um, wokeness or it they. It's. I think it's people saying like, "Well, of course these privileged people can can say this." Uh, yeah, We're coming for your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad they said uh, that they reminded of a white conservative man because it was definitely something I kept on thinking in the 2008 primaries. Mm. Was like, there's so many uh, similarities between him and a white conservative man. Uh, but like. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was your article, The Battle Cry for the Politically Homeless, which I think is still your pinned tweet on Twitter. And I thought it was such a fantastic article and I wanted to talk to you about that. So let's start with like, who are the politically homeless? I think that there's a, a large population of people who can't really get on board with the rhetoric of the current administration, the demonization, a lot of the corruption and then they're also seeing, you know, I always make the joke that I would be, um, there, there will come a day where something will come into the news about the current administration. And I'm like, that's it. I'm marching. I'm taking to the streets. I'm joining the resistance. And then I'll go, I, you know, in my attempt to go sign up for the resistance, someone would be like, um, what pronouns do you go by? And I would be like, I'm out, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, exactly. Um, so was that issue so going to be the uh, Trump uh, dog photo, Photoshop? The fact that he can get away <laughs> with that? The fact that he can just willingly put something out like that, that fake news? I feel like that's the like, least of the worries that we have. The, you know, that's, and that's what I was saying week on Dumpster Fire, actually, is he's so outside norms that you, in order to evaluate him, um, from an intellectually honest point of view, you have to say, and especially if you're somebody who, like myself, comes from a liberal background um, and was never really exposed to conservative media, what is something that this president is doing that all presidents did? What is something that's outside the norms, even for conservatives, which is where I think when you when you read like never Trumpers like Tom Nichols or Jonah Goldberg or people who are lifelong conservatives, you can see where that differentiation is. And then what is the things that he's doing that are outside of the norm that are like chase the shiny thing? He's just a 12 year old with a Twitter account. And what are some of the things that we actually need to push back against because they undermine democracy? Like parsing all of that is very hard. And most people just don't want, it's much easier to just decide you're in a tribe and, and, um, and on the left, people will say, don't both sides of this stuff. It's not even the same. And from my perspective, a lot of the authoritarian language policing and the cancelling of people and sh publicly shaming people, that is, uh, seems to be more of a leftist phenomenon than, than anything. So, you know, you, we have, I feel like there's like different versions of fascist, fascist kind of, you know, adjacent-ish encroaching on all sides. And I think 
most people fall in that politically homeless where they're able to see this and say, well, like that, I don't want socialism and I don't want, um, but I also don't want like just this shit show that's on, I don't know if I can swear, um, this, a little bit of like, clown show that's on the right. So that kind of is what inspired the piece is that I feel like, you know, there, there's a, a lot of ideologues who have the microphone and in the middle of that are people who don't really prescribe to, um, they don't really, they're not on board with either one of those extremes. Bridget, clearly you're very anti-woke among other things. It's just occurred to me that as far as I know, you have never been cancelled unless I've missed something. If that's the case, how do you think you've got away with it? I think, I mean, never been cancelled is, I don't know. So I was kind of unceremoniously dumped from Playboy. Now, whether that was cancelled, I don't think that I could call it that. It wasn't like publicly everyone was calling for my head. Um, I don't, it's harder to cancel somebody like me. I think if you, what are they going to take from me? I have my own, I have my own thing. And so they could boycott my sponsors. They could boycott um, my being on Patreon. They could boycott me being on Twitter but I'm not saying anything hateful and I'm certainly not saying anything that is completely unreasonable. In many instances, I'm just speaking a pretty commonly held, if not privately held belief that a lot of people feel like they can't say because they work at corporations or institutions or universities, or um, they're worried that their friends and and their liberal cities will come after them or, or whatever. So I, I don't think that I'm not like some radical out there trying to start like <laughs> any kind of, I don't want to fuel the culture war of anything. I really think that people should be trying to talk more across the aisle than, than less. Yeah. Uh, so you talked about how the like everyone's becoming quite polarized and tribalized. I remember I was like watching this interview with Jonathan Haidt, and he was talking about how in the '90s, if you got someone's p- political beliefs on say like gun control, it was somewhat of a predictor of how they'd feel about everything else, like healthcare and stuff. But today, it is almost uh, clear. Like once you go. Uh, you know, like a better or raw gun control position, you are 100% going to fall into this healthcare position and this other position on this other topic. Um, do you reckon people are becoming more tribalized like that? And how do we stop it? I don't know that they actually are because from, you know, obviously my, I attract a crowd that's politically homeless, but I, and so it's self-selecting my emails and, and the um, completely, anecdotal evidence that I have at my disposal. But I hear from a lot of women who are, who ask me, you know, why can't there be a candidate that supports my right to have guns and my right to um, do with my body what I will. So I don't know that. And there used to be a lot more nuance around conversations like abortion and gun control. And I just think that social media turns everything. Like I always call it the flattening. It like flattens everything and everyone into this two dimensional 
political abstraction and then everyone starts engaging as if they're political abstractions and it leaves very little room for nuance. Even with the abortion debate, I think most people are squishy. Most pro-lifers who are reasonable are, are willing to say maybe come back, compromise. And most uh, people who are pro-abortion are willing to say, you know, within like, a certain amount of time and that discussion just isn't even had anymore. Now it's like nine months or nothing. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no, there's, and I think in the middle of those discussions, um, in those topics, a lot of voices are getting lost because nobody is speaking for them. All right, this might be related to a word that you've invented called fetacy, which is you've named after yourself, I've noticed. So that's an interesting uh, development. Um, now, this word, according to... It's a, a long story. <laughs> that's all right. We've got a few minutes. Uh, so this on your website says, when reality becomes parody, when parody becomes reality, irony squared, the age we're living in now. So you've named this after yourself. Do you think politics and culture and all the rest of it is more ridiculous now than in the past? And explain what fetacy means. I Okay, so first things first. Fetacy, I didn't name myself after it. What happened was I started a company named, I made up a word to describe a phenomenon, this phenomenon of reality becoming parody or parody becoming re- reality that I was observing like in 2002, three, four, five. And then I started my company in 2005, I called it Fetacy, defined the word. And then when social media came about, I didn't trust social media. So I used Bridge of Fetacy since I figured I was going to try and get this word out. And it was my brand. And I just used it as my last name because I didn't want to use like my real last name um, publicly on these things that were brand new, which looking back was an inadvertently genius thing to do. <laughs> um, it was not in- it was not intentional. I wish I could say it was. And um so the word kind of, it's like we've grown into the word. I always had a very hard time explaining it to people. It's much easier now when headlines read like parody. And I'm not sure if this is just the accelerating effect of postmodernism with technology where everything becomes mediated and so those lines get so blurred that it's almost inevitable that irony starts doubling back on itself and becoming literal yeah uh, i'm completely with you about like the uh fall of journalism i mean like last week i know i brought it up on the in this interview already but uh the people going after trump because he are the photoshop of the dog with the medal of honor like how do you look at yourself in a mirror if you're a journalist and you've genuinely sent a email going, well, we need to find out what this, where this dog Photoshop came from? I don't, I, it, it's, it's so crazy to me because they walk into his trap and it's like they step on the same rink over and over and over again. And I don't know how you don't check yourself as a journalist. So how are you reporting on the president sharing a meme as if he's, sharing a doctored photo and trying to undermine national security without recognizing that you're only giving him exactly what he wants and, and only proving what he says about the corporate media being biased and a joke as accurate. So there are so many good journalists who work tirelessly and it's such a thankless job, particularly local journalists, which is being destroyed. 
And even, you know, there are big pieces that are, and so I hate that all journalism, which I feel is such an important profession, is being reduced to this, but they are not doing themselves any favors. Even like that headline with the, um, the terrorists that we killed. <laughs> yeah, I'll back down. Where all the Washington Post, yeah, the Washington Post and, and the New York Times were like, oh, the austere scholar. They cannot. And, you know, people joke about Trump derangement syndrome, but it is real. It is like a real thing that will be in the DSM someday. Oh, absolutely. And and I think I do. I like to clarify that I don't think it's just on the left. I think there are two strains of Trump derangement syndrome, and it's the resistance strain, which is everything somehow is Trump related. And these people can't like think about him all day long and try to vilify him and then there's the magistrate in which he's like a god king and can do no wrong and they cannot see anything possibly corrupt or cynical or bad about him and i i actually think the majority of people don't live in either one of those places unfortunately the loudest people do live in those places and they have that microphone and it's um it's destructive. You know, it's, it's, and what worries me, and this is something I wrote about, it's not, I don't even think this article is up on Playboy anymore because they like wiped everything, but now it seems like they're slowly putting things back up, probably because I'm talking about the articles that I wrote for them and they realize it's good for traffic. But um, I worry that it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy for the left where These people, and this is what's so destructive, you would rather that he actually is Hitler so that you can be right than recognize that he's maybe just a fucking idiot and kind of ineffective and maybe isn't as bad as you think. And he is doing things that are corrupt. And those are the things we should push back against. But by chicken littling and calling him this extreme dictator you're undermining your credibility. I, it's like crazy to me. It's, I, it, that's what's so frustrating to me, how, how badly they want him to be this thing so that they can be right. And how, how can you not see that? <laughs> like how dangerous that is. Now, Bridget, you say that you're politically disinterested, but based on that answer and based on uh, Dumpster Fire, your weekly podcast, which is awesome and we love and everyone should check out, um, you do talk about politics a lot. What keeps bringing you back to politics? I don't know. I don't feel like it's politics, though. I'm not a policy wonk. I'm. I think it's more culture. So I'm. If I think that, um, like Breitbart said it, I think all um, politics happen downstream of culture. So I'm much more. Uh, I'm like intuitive about this stuff. I'm just more observing the culture and the culture war. And then I see, I see how it plays out in politics, but I'm by no means somebody who's paying, you know, detailed attention to all the policies. And if I were to go on some show and talk about them, I would be the idiot that I know that I am. <laughs> uh, we do that on our show uh, for the uh, just as well. Uh, so now, Bridget, I know we're calling you at a bit of, bittersweet time for us both. Uh, Better Walk has just said he's out of the presidential race. I'm personally inconsolable. There were so many stories. There were so many speeches and Instagrams. I'll never have the opportunity to laugh at because they'll never exist. Uh, what's his legacy to you? Oh, I don't know. 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 I
Oh, God. That guy is so ineffective. I mean, I think I said it on Joe Rogan. I was like, he's like basal skin cell cancer. It's like it wants attention, but it's completely ineffective. I just feel like that's his legacy. It's like he's... He's like what a, a day pa- a day patient can't you know like an outpatient cancer <laughs> like he just doesn't he he just seems like such a little I always I said it on Twitter too that he's the guy that breaks up with you because he needs to go find himself like he just strikes me as such a um. I don't know. That was the best tweet. I actually roared out with laughter when I read that one. It's so true. He's I like, think, yeah, he, what is that though? What is that about him? Is it just that he's like a pussy? <laughs> like, what am I picking up on there? I, I just don't know. I don't know. He's one of those guys that you're like, oh, I feel like he'll be wearing a scarf any day now. Uh, absolutely. All right. Uh, Bridget, thank you so much for coming on the show. Make sure you're uh, downloading Walkins Welcome, the podcast, and make sure you're subscribed to Weekly Dumpster Fire. Uh, it's such an awesome show. Bridget, this was awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Okay. We now welcome on to the show David Sharma, the member for Wentworth. Welcome to the show. G'day, good to be with you. All right, so Dave, uh, we've got a lot to talk about with you because uh, you've got a fascinating backstory. There's a lot of issues we want to talk about. You're Australia's youngest ambassador to Israel. We've got the event Liberal Values Beyond Our Shores, which is taking place tonight, but next week, uh, sorry, last week as people hear this. Yeah. Uh, I knew I would stuff that up. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure when it is now. Yeah, I, no, I've, I've got no idea. Uh, there's also foreign affairs, but uh, firstly, I want to get to the main thing I want to ask you, which is you once ran a marathon in three hours and 17 minutes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's Why? my best time. <laughs> Why? Why would you, you know do you don't that? have to run marathons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's other ways of I think I've only done three. That was my best time, the Canberra one. I'd love to be one of these people that can crack three hours, but I think I'm probably a bit too old now to, yeah. to do it. Um, oh, they're just an immense test of mental strength, I think. Mm. I, I kind of like them for that. But the training commitment you need to do them. I've done a few. I'll do a half marathon every year, but a full marathon just like takes it out of you. Yeah. It's a lifestyle changer. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm more used to the 500 metre jogs uh, <laughs> when I'm late for a train. To the tram or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about Liberal Values Beyond Our Shores. It's an event you're at with uh, Senator James Patterson and Greg Sheridan, so now three friends of the show. So what are the Liberal Values uh, that are Beyond Our Shores? Well, I think they're really about, you know, they're our domestic values, but, you know, multiplied. So it's, it's things like, the rule of law, but operating on an international level. It's about, you know, the peaceful settlement of disputes. It's about respect for people's rights. It's about free trade, open trade, open commerce, um, the rights of individual states to, to you know, organise their own affairs and interact with the world uh, as they wish. So just as, you know, we put a big emphasis as Liberals on the rights of individuals in Australia. Well, so the current system of, of states is really based on the sovereign equality of states and the idea that states are autonomous actors. There's no... As a hi- there's no hierarchy amongst them. We're all, you know, retain certain fundamental rights and attributes, and that's really been the basis of on which the world's been structured since the end of the Second World War. And it's it's really those elements which are coming under strain in the last few years. You describe yourself, or sorry, you have been described as a bit of a foreign policy hawk. Uh, we're going to talk about the foreign influence transparency scheme in a second, but I just think more broadly, as as someone who's a classical liberal and a bit of a foreign policy hawk, how do you address the tension between maintaining our uh, liberalism and threats from um, aggressive overseas powers? 
Look, it's a it's a tough one. I mean, I'd, I'd sort of describe myself as a realist rather than a hawk. Okay. I think sometimes the people who use that term hawk are kind of too much idealists, I think. They okay. don't, don't actually. So I'm, I'm always a firm believer in you know, dealing with the world as it is. I don't have any you know, great ambitions to or pretensions that we can change the character of regimes overseas, which is often sort of, a, at least in US foreign policy terms, hawkishness often means you want to do, um, you know, you want to change the internal politics of countries. I'm realistic enough to know that's difficult. But I am very mindful that we should be a little less naive and a little more um, uh, clear-eyed about some of the threats and challenges facing Australia. We've, you know, we've had a remarkably good run uh, mm. since the end of the Second World War in terms of, you know, a world order that really suits our interests, an order that's supportive of trade, no real threats to peace and security in our region. The US is the untrammeled superpower. And all of those things are being tested or probed in some way or other. Uh, and it would be naive to think that we will just sort of sail sail through this blindly. So I think um, that does mean we sometimes have to have difficult conversations uh, domestically. And it does sometimes mean that we have to have difficult conversations with you know our big trading partners as well. But I think if we want to keep Australia as it is, with the freedoms and liberties we enjoy today and the lifestyle we know, um, then we will have to have those sorts of discussions. Yeah, because uh, for so long Australia was very far away from like where the eyes of the world were and you just think the last 10 years that's no longer the case. We are smack bang in the middle of it and like it's a whole different role we're playing. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you know, the, the tyranny of distance was always for us a real strategic blessing because it meant we were a long way from the sort of centres of conflict in the world and problems couldn't reach our shores. Now, you know, it's the Indo-Pacific that's the region where everything's happening and new sort of tools, technologies, capabilities, particularly cyber and electronic stuff, means that physical distance is no longer the, the buffer or the barrier that it once was. Yeah, cool. So we want to talk about one thing, which is uh, the Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme, which is just coming out uh, on the last couple of days. So we've seen conservative figures, Andrew Cooper and Tony Abbott, targeted under a measure that was meant to curb the Chinese influence that uh, you're talking about. Uh, is it possible to rein in the bureaucrats who act politically like that? And is this, uh, is this occurrence an argument for smaller government? Look, I think... Um I understand the intent of the, the law and what it was designed to achieve, and I think it's an important one, and it's, it's one I'd continue to support, but look, clearly the implementation here has gone you know, gravely awry. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it, perhaps it's, it's drafting elements we need to look at, like tightening up the implementation guidance, not the legislation itself. Uh, but also I think we've got to rein in the bureaucrats a bit more because this is really, you know, this is legislation written by the parliament. It's not directed at any particular nation, but I think the idea that the first case they open or the first file they open is going after someone who I don't think even his staunchest political opponents would call into question his patriotism mm. uh, is just ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's jumping the shark. It's, it's crazy. How, does, how do you rein in the bureaucrats? Because we sort of feel like, you know, the, you win elections, but you still, well, the, the free market conservative liberal people win the election, but the bureaucracy largely remains the same and they still um, have a fair bit of control. How, how do you rein in a, a bureaucracy like that? Look, I think it's incumbent on, I mean, I've, look, I've been in a federal bureaucracy, so I've seen it from, from both sides. Uh, and knowing that, it's really incumbent on, it's really incumbent on ministers to run their departments, not departments to run their ministers, if I can put it that way. And often, uh, um, you know, if you come in, you're inclined to defer to the expertise of your department because they've been doing the issues for longer. But you do see this where, um, you know, uh, ministers become sort of spokespersons for their departmental interests rather than um, imposing their own interests on the department. In our, in our Westminster system, it's elected representatives that have the say on this. And certainly when I was a, you know, a bureaucrat, a federal public servant, 
you know, there were decisions that I thought I wouldn't take because they were properly in the domain of the political leadership. And, um, you know, one of the strangely enough, one of the reasons I was considered one of the more pro-Israel ambassadors we've ever sent to Israel was because I actually believed in listening to the elected government <laughs> of the day and doing what I thought uh, their view was on this relationship. Yeah, that's a novel concept these days. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I think it's it's really, I mean, you know, some of the bureaucrats, look, clearly in that case something has gone wrong. I don't know. Someone should be held account for it. Um, and I think, you know, Christian Porter's done and said the right thing in saying he's going to grip it up and, and speak to his departmental secretary and make sure it happens because this isn't these sorts of interpretive decisions you know, there's some discretion there for the bureaucracy, but the intent's really driven by the political class. Okay, cool. So we talked about the implementation, but as you said, the intention is understandable with uh, China and all that. Uh, so what is your view on that? Because you say you're a realist and, like, the rise of China being what it is, like, what is Australia's relationship with China going forward, do you reckon? Well, it's not going to be an easy relationship, and I think we're better off if we're honest about that. And I think, you know, people are increasingly being honest about that. We've got different political systems, we've got, you know, different histories and we've got different views on a whole lot of international issues as well. Now, that doesn't doesn't mean we can't or shouldn't try to have a, you know, a productive partnership in areas where we can agree and suddenly there's, there's a mutual benefit to us trading in the amount that we do and I think it's always important that we stress that trade is an exercise in mutual benefit, both sides benefit from it. It's not like China doesn't do us a favour by buying all our exports uh, any more than we do it a favour by selling it, uh, you know, our iron ore. Um, but I think, you know, with that relationship in particular, we are going to have differences of views and China, as it becomes a bigger power around the world, wants to exercise more influence. Uh, and up to a point we accept that, but we won't accept it up to a point where it's seeking to interfere with things that we consider to be our domestic domain. And this is, look, just as China would not welcome us um, as a government you know, getting involved in issues that go to the heart of their red lines, like the One China Policy, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, nor will we tolerate China seeking to do things that, you know, undermine our own system of government or, or values here at home. And I think it's important that we both respect each other's uh, red lines there. All right, so another big issue happening at the moment overseas is Brexit. How do you see that panning out? What do you think of Boris Johnson's deal and what are the benefits to Australia from Brexit? if any, as you say it? Look, I think um, I worry about Brexit uh, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, the first one really is that it has undoubtedly sucked up all the political oxygen in the UK and Westminster, which means, just bluntly, that the UK is not able to play the constructive global role it has in the past as, you know, one of the five nuclear powers, you know, permanent veto seat on the security, uh, veto wielding seat on the UN Security Council. Normally we've relied upon the UK to be a kind of trusted ally on international issues and they just don't have the bandwidth to do this because Brexit has become all-consuming. Uh, I don't think we'll necessarily get a... Actually, I don't think we'll get a clear result on the 12th of December. That's what I predicted. Um, so, so glad to have you on board, Dave. Uh, so <laughs> Don't even bother holding it. <laughs> two, of great, two of the great political yeah, minds yeah. in this country. So then I, then where does that leave us? Because, they, they, you know, whichever party is the largest, I don't think will have a majority in its own right. Uh, they'll need to cooperate with some sort of minor parties. It might be the Scottish Nationalists. You're going to have to trade a referendum on Scottish independence. It might be the DUP. What does that mean for the kind of Northern Ireland backstop issue? Um, uh, and look, you know, the Lib Dems have got their own proposal. It's got to go. Basically, they want to stop Brexit. Labor's got this second referendum proposal. Um, I worry because it's sort of it's it's 
making the UK political system dysfunctional and has bad consequences for all of us. Yeah, but like uh, talking, going back to like the idea of liberal values beyond our shores, I mean, like three years ago, the British people overwhelmingly voted for Brexit. And you just think like, I, I can't think of a bigger liberal value than uh, democracy. You just, how do they still not have a Brexit? It's one of the biggest betrayals of our time. Yeah, but I guess what I'd say there, I often draw this parallel to the the referendum we had on the Republic in 1999. And at that time, John Howard, he's pilloried for it at the time, but rightly insisted that a particular model had to be put forward in that referendum. It wasn't just, do you want an Australian head of state or not? It was, what sort of Australian's head of state with what powers and how would they be elected? And of course, you know, the, the option that was settled on was a, a, a president, quote unquote, that would be appointed by the parliament with largely, you know, reserve and ceremonial powers, which people rejected. Brexit was it was an open-ended question that was put to the people in, and they don't have a referendum tradition in the UK. It's non-binding. Um, and I think fundamentally people, and you know this would be true, I think, of all the Tories, Brexit has been proven to be a harder thing to work out than they'd ever possibly yeah. conceived yeah, yeah. at fair. the beginning. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I, I have some sympathy with the view that, look, you need to... Um, you need to look at this again because there's now if you've got a clear option i mean and hopefully this election will do this because there is there is a, a brexit plan on the table that boris johnson has put there and the people should have a vote on that now but it's you know, I'm just not not sure we'll get a clean result. But if I could compare it to another thing, which isn't a referendum, but like uh, I can't remember what the ended up word being, but basically like the gay marriage vote in Australia or like the poll or whatever it was. But uh, the plebiscite. plebiscite. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but could you imagine like because that was kind of open ended as well, and there yep. wasn't like an idea of like what was going to happen to churches. But if True. three years later there was still no gay marriage in Australia, like the people would be in the streets. This yeah. would be ridiculous. Yep. True. No. Look, I think that's. Uh, that's that's a fair point. I mean, I think probably the result for that was a little more over. I mean, Brexit was sort of a fifty-two forty-eight. The gay marriage, I think, was about two thirds, one third yeah, yeah. nationally. So it's a little more overwhelming. Uh, and look, it was it was. I guess it was a less complicated thing to do. I mean, unwinding forty-five years of in, entanglement with the European Union is more difficult than changing the definition of marriage in a you know single piece of legislation, which is what we had to do. So I think that's. You know, that's the difference there. All right, I don't think we're going to get you over the line that it's a gigantic betrayal <laughs> of democracy. Let's say, no, uh, not. let's move things on to uh, your win in Wentworth. So I want to ask you, who played a bigger role in your victory, Get Up or Alex Turnbull? <laughs> um, look, I think, thankfully, neither of them were much of a factor the second time around. They were certainly factors in the by-election. In the by-election, I mean, it was... It was the one show in town at the time. It was the only by-election happening. A lot of people jumped on it and mm. causes jumped on it. Get Up was there. There was the Stop Adani people. There was sort of, you know, Animal Justice Party. There was the Voluntary Euthanasia Party. There a whole lot of single-issue campaigns came and did it, which meant it was a pretty complicated landscape. Alex Turnbull, you know, got involved as well. Um, but I think what was good about the general election is that people tuned out a whole... A lot of those distractions went elsewhere. They went to other seats. They went to Warringah, for instance. Um, but they also, I think people realised that it was serious now and they had to make a choice between two alternatives. We have a two-party system in Australia. Australian politics generally works best that way. And so a lot of those people just didn't get the oxygen they did in the by-election. All right. Well, I know us nepotism boys have to stick together, but I've got to give it to Alex Turnbull because uh, he's got like the reverse Midas touch when it comes to politics. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you find anything left behind by the former Prime Minister in the electoral office of note? Well, so Karen Phelps actually moved into the office oh, of course, after, yeah. after Malcolm. So no, it was Malcolm's office and then Karen's office and then and then mine. Um, no, she, I think she left a whiteboard with a few sort of inspirational sayings written on it. Oh, really? That was, I, I, with I, love, love? 
I, I can't actually remember what the sayings were. We took a photo of it at the time because we thought we'd want to remember them. And I'm not sure if they were meant to send some sort of subliminal message to me or not. They just forgot to erase them. But that was about all that was of night. Actually, and a lot of purple pens. Oh, purple okay. was her campaigning card. <laughs> There's far more purple pens than I could ever make use yeah, of. Yeah, purple's like outside of electoral party platform, uh, writing <laughs> on the signs. I don't know when I'd need a purple pen. No. Or unless no. I'm like illustrating Grimace. Uh, I was going to ask the last question. Did like Malcolm Turnbull's Breitbart subscription, was that still valid? It's like we're still, we still getting in the newsletters. Yeah, turning up every week on the door. I'm, I'm always demand it, make sure it gets put on my desk first so read it first. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Dave Sharma, uh, member of Wentworth, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, welcome to another round of Hey, What Did We Miss? Mm. The Young IPA Quiz. Uh, very big quiz panel for uh, the people today. So we've got Pat Hannafin. You've been on before. You've been You've won a few times. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping that I might get one question other than the who am I this nah, week. Nah, nah, you've got to keep it up. You've got to only, you got to let these two fight it out for the uh, regular questions and then just wait for the who am I. For Morgan, the scraps. Morgan Begg, research fellow, dressed up for the occasion, yes. I might add, with a very, very nice green tie and green jacket combination. I was going to come in complete casuals and remembered, <laughs> ah, young IPA podcast. <laughs> I think this is your casuals. Yeah. Morgan yeah. <laughs> dressed down. Uh, yes. And I just only can hope that you find Colonel hey, Kurtz eventually. This is, this is not a dressing up tie, I guess. <laughs> so, it's a uh, this is me and Pete, because uh, if you look at Pete, uh, there's a noticeable downturn in is there? Uh, wearing quality. Mate, I've got a crown on, all right? I'm the king. <laughs> no, I got the crown because right. I won last week for those listening. And that is what they're playing for. So uh, if it is your first quiz, one point on for correct answers and one point off a Incorrect answers. We've yeah. got nine questions, and then a who am I with a five, four, three, two, one. Uh, buzzers are your first name. Sorry, Pat. Pat. You can do that. Morgan. Morgan. That's good. Pete. Roof, roof. For the roof seal. Roof right. seal. Let's do it. Okay, Let's sweet. Uh, all right. So this week we had the big report 11,000 climate scientists from yeah. around the world talking about how much of a climate emergency there is. Name three. Uh, which fictional character was not among the 11,000 climate scientists? Listed? Malcolm Temple. <laughs> He wasn't. He wasn't in there, but he. Nor is he a fictional character, unfortunately. <laughs> but anyway, really. uh, so which of these following fictional characters was not among the eleven thousand climate scientists listed? Mickey Mouse, Homer Simpson, Albus Dumbledore, uh, Morgan. Morgan. Uh, Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson was not among it, so one point on for uh, Morgan. This is just a. This is favoritism. I know these two just do Simpsons quotes <laughs> to each other all day. That is yeah. all we talk. That would have helped you in that instance, but there's something That's going on. The only thing I remembered from that news story was the absence of Homer Simpson. <laughs> what a, what a <laughs> bloody outrage it was! You've got a Google alert. That's just Homer Simpson's yeah, story. Didn't so come, come up. <laughs> didn't come across my desk. Uh, what has Boris Johnson given up until Brexit has passed? Roof, 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 roof. Sex. <laughs> Really? Roof, roof. Being in the EU. <laughs> no, not that either. Hemorrhaging points, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> that was a point for both of those. <laughs> yeah. okay. They're incorrect answers. They're roof, good roof. Answers. roof, roof. Drinking. Drinking yeah. is correct. All right. Minus two for Pete. I knew it was He's back. one of those three. <laughs> they're, only, they're only the three things he does. So if you had to make oh, one sacrifice, uh, that was going to be it. All right. Uh, yeah. Evo Morales resigned as president of which nation this week? Uh, Pat. Pat. Bolivia. Yes, correct. Bolivia. Pat uh, has already hit his KPI. He's answered one thing that <laughs> yeah. is not the who am I. So all, all don't pull muscle, Pat. <laughs> we got a hammock set up for you over there if you want to just wait out the next couple of minutes. Uh, which new streaming service was plagued by technical difficulties on their first day of release Morgan. this week? Morgan. Uh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus is correct. Ooh. And I just want to tell listeners out there, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe uh, things aren't going great, but as l- at least you are not on the Disney Plus technical support team because oh, that... Yeah. 
They had an absolute mirror this week. Um, <laughs> thousands and thousands of people just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Daniel Wilden had an article in the Daily Telegraph on why Australia must withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement last week. What is the only nation in the world that the uh, Climate Action Tracker website lists as having policies which are Paris Agreement compatible? Roof, roof. Roof, roof. US. Incorrect, the US. Pat. You hope because of how much of a being admitted they are? Pat. The pregnant pause. We were discussing yeah. this before yeah. the show. It's That's not up and over. It's a dramatic there, moment. There is a time limit. It's not. Is it Australia? It's not Australia. <laughs> Pat, point off for Pat. Does anyone have it? I don't have it. Um, Morgan. No, it's actually. Up, down to you. Okay, the no. answer is Morocco. Uh, yeah. That's the only oh. nation in the world. That is I gotta say, that's. Uh, I'm Paris. not surprised that. that I edited uh, that piece as well. Yeah, very keen Ooh, eye. For my the, crown was full. Well, I yeah, it is. It depends on minus three. I just thought because the US doesn't have it at Paris Agreement that they can't break it. No, they're still they in it. They're withdrawing <laughs> from <laughs> it. You think they're like we're we're compliant? Well, yeah, <laughs> <they're just>, you <laughs> know, I haven't said anything that I haven't followed up with. No, they're still in it, but they're like withdrawing it. And Daniel's article is talking about why Australia should follow suit. Go to ipa.org.au if you want to. Great. That's a great. It is a great article, and I just completely. Forgot that Morocco <laughs> yeah. factoid. Yeah. Uh, IPA.org.au if you want to read it. Uh, all right. So, why aren't the Brexit Party competing in 317 Pat. seats in the. Pat. This is, is an interesting question. No. That's the nature of jumping yeah. in, Patty. What if there was more? <laughs> what if uh, there was more? The thing is. You'd be worried. This is a very subjective question. Hang on. Why? There's, well, it's because they uh, want Brexit to happen. See, the, uh, the you Conservatives know what I'll pay are the only ones this who have a policy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pay in it. In favour of Brexit. Yeah, because they reached a deal with the Conservative Party, but I'll pay it because uh, it is all Brexit related. I'm, I'm not going to get it. After all these quizzes, like four quizzes is finally a Brexit question. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to get well, that done. <laughs> I've been uh, waiting all this time. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, what words have been banned from the set of the new James Bond movie? Pat. Pat. Uh, Bond girl. Bond girl is banned. Uh, terrible. Yeah. For, like, what is... <laughs> You just can't say it. They're not Bond girls. You can't say it. Uh, they're independent it's women sexist, that just happen to have sex with James Bond. So you're going to say like Bond woman or something? I don't uh, think you can even say or that. Just no. I think it's strong independent <laughs> female that just happens to have sex with James Bond in this movie. Because she wants to. Yes. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, score check. Uh, I'm, 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 an, I'm definitely going to wear the dunce hat this week. I don't think my scoring has been on top of things. But what I have, <laughs> yep. and so I'll chime in if I'm wrong, is uh, minus two for Pete, two Oof. for Morgan, and two for Pat. Ooh. Okay, I haven't heard back from Saul. There's no way he's doing scores yet. Saul's asleep. Uh, Saul's left. He's off trucking he's, oh, somewhere. He's not, he's not even uh, there. All right, so uh, question eight, I think it is. Qantas are trialing, uh, trialing super long flights. Mm. Uh, these are direct flights from very long distances. They've done in New York to Sydney direct. Where is the next destination they're trying? Roof, roof. Roof, roof. London. London is correct. Hang on. This will revolutionise everything. Like, I do not, like, long flights stink. And if you can get away that they're direct, this is amazing. Apparently they um, do. There's stick. a lot of furrowed brows around the. Is that saying Sydney to London? Sydney to London. Oh, what did okay. I, I, thought say? I thought you meant uh, New York to London. No, no, I no. Thought, they, they've I done that before. They, yeah, I think I'm going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> I might go get that done. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've done that once or twice in New York to London yeah. direct. Yeah, yeah, apparently yeah. Flights, Sydney to London. Apparently yeah. flights do stink when the person who opens the door opens it. Apparently, yeah, it absolutely stinks. Like a tube of fart. Paddy Hannaford, this is a family <laughs> podcast. I thought you meant like if they open the door mid-flight. No, it's really bad. When it lands like, and gets to its destination. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, last question before the who am I, which is when Pat will come back in. Which Australian sports team negotiated an equal pay deal Pat. this week? Pat. Ooh. Matildas. Matildas did indeed. I was going to say the Dinas. <laughs> the what? My cricket team. <laughs> How much are you guys getting paid? Well, now we're much. getting paid as much as, uh, what's his name? I don't know. Aaron Moy. 
Who's, oh, is he out? No, he's just a soccer that It would be great to get paid as much as. Um, oh, right. Yeah, no, no, we're still not getting paid. Right, so, so uh, yeah. score check at the Who Am I? Pat uh, is on three. Morgan is on two. Peter is on negative one. Ooh. Pete can still win. Yeah. Pete can still win. I can still win. All right, so who am I? Now, Good question. for five points, I died 13 years ago on Sunday. So that's two thousand six. I am just going to reward myself because the one thing I get from the Who Am I is that every single person died 250 years ago yeah. that I yeah. do. 13. All right, Fair this day. is relevant. But that's 2006 for those who are not good at maths. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. That's actually Carry the one. Yeah, actually you're helpful. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah, so no, I don't know. I'm sure uh, those guys don't know either. Does anyone want to make a guess? I Five points. I won't risk it at this stage. Won't risk it at this stage. Morgan do I, am I, I'm four points behind, aren't I? Uh, you are uh, negative one. Uh, yes, four points. Okay, well, I know I lose a point if I... Yeah, no, I'll wait until the next right. round. They're not equalised. They don't win the tiebreaker. I don't have a tiebreaker question. All right, uh, four points. I was born in 1912 in New York. Oh, well, that could be bloody anyone. No, it can only be a, like this is a, it can only be a select group of people. It can only be people that were born in 1912 <laughs> and in New York. Yeah, it's a, it can't be anyone. It's a figure of speech. You James. can rule out Albert Einstein. No, I don't know who it is either. Do you guys know? I haven't. Uh, I don't want to risk it, but I haven't. Don't want to risk it for the biscuit. Ooh. That one. No, okay. No, no, interesting. All right, three points. I was an advisor to both Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. Ooh. Pat's thinking about it. It's thinking about it. He's leaned away. All right. Morgan <laughs> Beck, still them. nothing. <laughs> to both of them. Uh, so Morgan two, Pat is on three. So Wait, when you say, it, like, actually employed as an advisor? Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. <does> that just <laughs> the advice. To, what do you want from me? He gave advice, Pat. <laughs> What's, what's, what you, what's your knowledge of the contract? What, 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 what have you brought into no, this? So it was an pay. NDA. Right? I, can't, I can't figure out terms of employment. There was an NDA. Uh, two points. All right. So, Morgan, this is your chance to win Jeez. it. Two points. I won the Nobel Prize in economics in 1976. Uh, so, it's Pat. Pat. The person I was thinking of is Milton Friedman. Oh. And that's who it is, Patrick. So Milton Friedman was not an advisor to Patrick. Where's that dunce hat? Where's <laughs> I want to restrict your crown access. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll look into it and then immediately in the next section, if you're wrong, we'll just bag you on air without yeah. your, any chance of reply. That's the, <laughs> the like Young RJ podcast way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Well done, Pat. Uh, thank you no. for all the, getting it right and then having a go at me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Real that's, why I asked, that's why I asked the clarifying question. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, uh, we got more show for you guys after this. Stay up. Okay, welcome back to the show. He's angry. Here Look we go. Uh, Milton Friedman served as member of President Reagan's Economic Policy Advisory Board starting in 1981. And yeah. this is from the Telegraph obituary to Milton Friedman. He served as advisor to the Thatcher government from 1979 to 1990 as it developed a free market economy, low taxation, and the sale <laughs> of state-owned industries. Well, there you go. Eat your words, Patrick Hannaford. Uh, now, Patrick... Uh, when he was on the quiz, yeah. uh, he raised the prospect of having to wear a dunce hat next week. I believe it's appropriate in this instance. I think we need to go a bit harder. So okay. what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to buy a ring. <laughs> and then next week okay. on the quiz, Patrick Hannaford is going to have to kiss it. Okay. <laughs> with the dunce hat on. With the dunce hat on. And if he does not kiss the ring, he will be forced to leave the studio. Okay. Look so on Pat, me. I know you're listening. Yeah. I'm right. You're wrong. Kiss the ring. Kiss the ring, Patty. Give it a smooch. Otherwise, don't come on. All right. Uh, let us get into some stuff that have made us laugh this week. I've already won. Oh, <laughs> thank you, obviously, life. to Bridget Fettersy and Dave Sharma for coming on the show. Oh, yeah, sure. But Pat, <laughs> you're going to kiss that ring. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, now, we teased this at the start of the show. Yeah. Uh, we want to 
we've we've had Bridget on the show. We've had Dave Sharma on the show. We've yes. had ministers on the show recently. We've had people uh, who've uh, well, uh, who was it? Andrew Shearer um, raised that he met. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Uh, anyway, so we've had people that have uh, met people that have met. Uh, very important guest that we've been circling for a while. We've mm. been trying to get him on the show mm. and uh, I think we now need a more direct route. So what is this new segment, Pete? So this new segment's called Pete's Tweet. Yep. You'll note that Pete rhymes with tweet. What I've been thinking is I want to tweet more, right? And I always yep. forget to or I see someone they want to, I want to bite at but I don't have the guts so I don't. So I thought what better way to make myself tweet more, like what a noble ambition that is, <laughs> than to make it part of the show, Pete's Tweet. Yeah. Uh, Bolter liked it, so we're going to do it. I did. Bolter had a great idea for the first tweet. Yes. As you said, we want to aim big. James, yep. I'll let you announce it because okay. this is your party. Right. For, for, for Pete's first tweet. Yeah. Well, not first tweet, but like first tweet under the program of Pete's tweet. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try and get Donald Trump on the show. We're going to so, try and get him on via Twitter. Like uh, Pete and I are now going to draft the tweet. Yep. Even though it's coming out from Pete's account, I do feel I should help you out as someone that's on Twitter, what, like 80 times a day? Yeah. <laughs> I don't tweet, but I do read. Uh, all right. So Ooh, what are we password? thinking? Well, I just think let's go simple, you know, at the, at the real Donald Trump. Yep. Yeah, good question. Yeah. At the real Donald Trump, come on the, do you want to come on the Young IPA podcast? Uh, I think that's a little too nice and I think it doesn't really separate from the pack of thousands and thousands of notifications he's going to get every get single day. Uh, so what I thought, of, if we really wanted him on the show, and damn it, I do, yeah. uh, we got to neg him. we got to make him, we got to challenge his authority, maybe challenge him personally into coming on the show. So I what I thought <laughs> what I thought you could do, uh, just say, uh, come on the Young IPA podcast that the whistleblower said you wouldn't. That challenges him. Because now he's That's like, I'll show idea. that whistleblower. I'll show him. That whistleblower said I wouldn't. Come on the Young IPA yeah, podcast. So hang on, it's the real Donald Trump, isn't it? Uh, well, you, <laughs> like check it, you can click on That's it. the real. Uh, Nobody's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> That's the that, right one. Young James is Electric very good radio. with technology. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, blah, 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 Donald Trump, come on the Young IPA podcast. Uh, you are the slowest typer in the world. What's the next bit? Um, uh, I just said the whistleblower said you wouldn't. We're going to be in trouble for this. I don't think so. Mate, <laughs> last week we said we had information leading to Hillary Clinton's arrest. The whistleblower said you wouldn't. All right, send it. Do we want him in studio or Sorry? on the phone? In studio or on the phone? Uh, in studio. He comes to us. In studio, please. Yeah. <laughs> in studio is better. But can do on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Just say 410 cons. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. But can do better. All right. Can, do, can do phone. Can do phone. We'd, we'd push for studio pretty hard, though. All right. Sent? Almost. I was going to write Okay, cheese. cool. Write uh, I'll just move on to the next segment while you do it. Uh, oh so, God, people, <laughs> now we wait. What if? Yeah, the, okay. The, 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 right. the rod has been thrown out. And we will now see if the fish bites. Let's do it. All right. Uh, okay. So last week, next thing we want to talk about. So last week, uh, a very viral news story went out. We talked about it in the quiz. 11,000 scientists from around the world uh, wanted to unequivocally declare that the planet is facing a climate emergency. Yes. It was published in the journal Bioscience. You know, just show of hands, 11,000 scientists. That's why you need to listen to us because there's so many of us. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as uh, people can see if they're watching on YouTube right now, and if you heard the quiz, uh, there were a few interesting uh, additions to this one, including Mickey Mouse uh, from the Mickey Mouse Institute in Nigeria. That, that was one of the signatories. <laughs> Could be real. And be uh, Albus Dumbledore was another one. The uh, prince, principal? principal? I'm not a big Harry Potter guy. Principal of Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, that's not even good trolling. Like <laughs> that is like base minimum trolling. Yeah, and it still got in. So that's our view, isn't it? Our view is that people 
trolled the petition and put their names in. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I, I don't mean. think they were just actually making up numbers of just like, we have 10,000, let's go for 11,000 yeah, yeah. and let's go help us Dumbledore and Mickey Mouse. But what it does demonstrate is they haven't read it. They haven't read it. They weren't, they weren't fact-checking the people that have signed uh, yeah. the petition. I mean, there could, be, there could be other people in there that aren't... So the broader point is there could be other people in there that aren't like yeah. genuine climate Yeah, because like Mickey Mouse, like... That's like that's base level. Like, how do you not even if you had a petition of that many people? How do you not even control F Mickey Mouse? Because that's like the number one thing people are going to troll you with. Yeah, exactly. And then Albus Dumbledore as well. Like, uh, it's like it's not even like a SC scientist or something like that or PI staker. If you're a big Hot Fuzz fan listening, like base level trolling. Yeah, and it went straight through. And those people, are meant, we're meant to believe these people that they know the Earth's going to end in 37 <laughs> months. Can't even check their own damn petition. Struth. Uh, all right, uh, another climate change one we got for you so uh pete talk to us about this one well this one was a uh, piece written on triple j hack website last week by a fellow called james pertle and i hope i've pronounced your name correctly there james he's definitely listening he said he's definitely listening and he said you know him and his missus had a uh, differing view over climate change i'll read a part of the article are you going to waste so essentially she he was at, out to dinner with his missus and a few other people when he said are you she said are you going to waste your life worrying about climate change she asked Yes, the world is going to hell, but you need to enjoy yourself. She added, we all die someday. Uh, he writes, we broadly agreed on the facts of climate change and that the future was looking dark. Where we differed was how to properly respond. She wanted to keep living her life as normal and I wanted to freak out. And then we broke up. <laughs> now, James Pertle's missus, if you're listening, or ex-missus, if you're listening. More likely to be listening. You've dodged a bullet. Yeah, well done. Like, <laughs> got out. At a very good time. James might turn out all right. Yep. But he's got a bit of, he's got to find himself. Yeah. He's got a bit of growing up to do. Yes. Uh, don't he's only got it. 10 years left to do it in, apparently. Well, exactly yeah. right. I'm, I'm worried for him. So, yeah. I don't know. Look, we've seen Babies Not Born. We've seen, uh, what's the other one? People sort of report with mental illness because of climate change. Now yeah. people are breaking up. Well, I just, uh, I, I think he fell fallen for his, uh, what do they call it? Gaslighting. Uh, because if you go back to that headline, it says breaking up because of climate change. Yeah, breaking up over climate change is a direct thing from him. And he says, oh, it's because we uh, broke up because of climate change. No, you just suck. <laughs> you could have held, you could have made a health you, Like climate change is just a symptom for a wider disease and mm. you suck. Like, yeah. You're just a downer to be around. Yeah, exactly. Like the rest of that article is just him like, here's, another com- here's a conversation I had with a different person and we agreed we're all going to die. Here's a conversation with a different person and I agreed we're all going to die. Dude. Yep. What's the common denominator here? And it's not climate change. <laughs> yep. No, I look exactly right. All right. Uh, last thing we've got to talk about in the show, and uh, I don't want to talk about this. Not looking forward I don't to, want to talk to about this. this. Uh, so, a bit of slice of life. Now, Pete and I come to you with barrel fire takes all damn day, and you guys don't know a whole lot about us. But I Pete- don't tell him to say things like that, people. <laughs> he should, because I need more encouragement. Anyway, uh, Pete, you have something that's not podcast related that's been eating at you. I've been, I sit next to you at work, I uh, sit across from you, I just see. You distant look in the eyes yeah. as if you wonder what has happened to the mighty, mighty Dina's Cricket yeah. Group. Monday morning, I roll in. So I play for the Dina's, a cricket club here in Melbourne. Now, we sort of had high hopes for this season. Thought yep. we could make the finals, maybe go all the way. Now, you don't just play for the Dina's. Mm. Like, you are almost head honcho, right? Oh, I'm not. I mean, look, I'm a club legend gets thrown around, <laughs> I guess. But, you know, you make up your own mind. Look, we are 0-5 yep. after five games. Our worst start in 26 years. Saul's running through a few photos on Is the screen. Is that actually true? I think it's a, it's an estimate because we got relegated 26 years ago. Right. We came straight back up. Yeah. Not been relegated relegated since then. So I'm just using it as a proxy. Right. Okay. Certainly in my time, and I've been there for 15 years. So it's a terrible, terrible start. And I think James just wanted to put it out there to people if they've got any suggestions. Well, so here's what I because 
you know, eventually when things are going badly, you need an external review and I'm quite <laughs> external. So I, I've put together some thoughts as to what I think might be happening down at the Dean. Oh, really? I haven't, uh, <laughs> I haven't gone to a game, <laughs> but I'll give it a shot. And uh, yeah, as Pete said, if you have your own theories or if you do uh, want to offer Pete some advice, my emails are always open yeah. at jbolt at ipa.org.au or just, uh, you know, uh, put out the news hound beacon and I'll come over. But anyway, on Twitter as well. If you- uh, yes, James M. Bolt. Uh, anyway, so, uh, well, I'm looking at the Australian cricket team mm-hmm. and they had a return to form with the Ashes. So yeah. are there any wayward sons that need to be brought back into the fold and everyone forgets everything that ever happened because they hit a double century? <laughs> There's, nah, not exactly. There's players we haven't got from last year that would be good to have them playing, but I don't know okay. if they're wayward sons. They're not wayward sons. No. All right. Uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, now, my second theory. Now, when the Deaners were doing well last couple of years, a yeah. few finals appearances, yep. uh, you were working on a PhD at the time. Now, yep. do you need to do another PhD to get them back in. Maybe. Are you willing to want to take that? <laughs> if it'll get us a bit of improvement, I'm happy to do whatever it takes, James. Whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever it takes. Another PhD. Ask John Roscom, is that all right? <laughs> just, just asking. All right. Uh, now, uh, my third and possibly most uh, uh, out of the box mm. thing, uh, as I said, this is an external review. And sometimes when countries bog down, uh, you need to bring in an outsider. Like when okay. America starts bogging down, you bring in Donald Trump. Okay. <laughs> you just need someone to throw a cat among the pigeons. You know Donald Trump's American, don't you? Uh, yeah, but he's an outsider to the political oh, okay. system. <laughs> and the political system wasn't working. I was like, maybe Bolt doesn't realise. Anyway. I'm aware of that. I'll tell uh, you point. Now, uh, there is no one more outsider to the Dinas than me. Yeah. In the world. Mate, I do be- not care. I, I love you. I don't care about the Dinas. And I will not go to a trivia night. Uh, but you need an outsider. So I, I am now hereby offering to coach the Deaners. I have been trying to get you down for years, James. Not as a coach. I'm not going to play. Good. I'm not, I'm not going to play or watch, but I will coach. Look, that's fine with me. I'll speak to Harry. He listens to the podcast sometimes. Yeah, He's there's happy. so many Deaners that listen. If you want to anonymously suggest what's going on with the Deaners, jbob.org.au. This person seems to know a lot about I'll what's going never on. I'll never send what's happening to Pete. Yeah, okay. Unless it's funny. So look, I'll ask. Okay, cool. I'm happy to coach the Deaners for a day. Okay. And I will come down on him. It's going to go, uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a scene. Anyway, uh, that is it for the show this week. Yep. jbob.ipa.org.au. Let's let's unpack the Deaners. Uh, and uh, thank you to Bridget Fantasy. Thank you to Dave Sharma. Uh can, what, who on the quiz? Pat. Pat. Pat Haddifer. Oh, Pat. Despite his Pat, uh, next week, get those, <laughs> get those lips ready for a oh, kiss under the ring. Uh, if you are listening through Apple... Not that sort of podcast. <laughs> if you are listening through Apple Podcasts, make sure you're leaving us a five-star review. Uh, we're also on the Young IPA Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, so make sure you're telling your friends and family that prefer to watch podcasts rather than listen to them about that. And, uh, and we're also available on Facebook. And if you are... Oh, I did the five-star review thing. Cool. All right. See you guys next week. See ya. Thanks, all. Even these stuffed up a lot. Thanks. Bye. 